Today's uh, sermon scripture reading is from Luke 1 to 9. If you want to follow, or sorry, Luke 9, 1 to 9, if you want to follow with me. It should be up there. It's Luke 9, 1 to 9. <clears throat> and he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, neither a staff nor a bag, nor bread nor money, and do not even have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that city. And as for those who do not receive you as you go out from that city, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Departing, they began going throughout the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was happening, and he was greatly perplexed, because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen again. Herod said, I myself had John beheaded, but who is this man about whom I hear such things? And he kept trying to see him. Let's pray. Jesus, we, <clears throat> we gather in your name for you are the one who has called us out of our sin, out of our darkness, out of our um, self-destructive path that we were on, and you've called us into fellowship with the God of the universe, and we know that we are beloved children of him. He is our Father. And so, God, we, we come this morning, we want to hear from you. And you speak through your word, may it fall like thunder on our hearts. And you heal the brokenhearted. And you stir up those who have grown discouraged. And you do this through your word. And you go out and come back and, and do its work. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. So being married to a physician has been an interesting journey. Sorry, Mark, I'm saying that as she's walking. Um, it's been an interesting journey because literally before I, I married Marco, there was not a single person in my, all the family I knew of who did anything in health careers, like, like no nurses, no techs, nothing. And so I had, you know, I'd watched House a lot, and that was my understanding of the medical field. And so I married Mariko, and she comes from a family of healthcare workers, of like physicians and nurses and, and, and all that. And so uh, we got married in medical school, and so I got to kind of watch vicariously as she went through this and learn about all the different fields of medicine and, and, and all this stuff. Um, it's been very interesting, and, and, and two things I've, I've noticed. One is that um, becoming a doctor is very hard, uh, which is a good thing, because you want your physician to like know what they're talking about when you meet them. Um, I thought I knew what it meant to work hard until I watched Marco go through medical school, and then I learned I'd never worked a hard day in my life. Um, and then the second thing I learned is that it's very stressful, um, and it's stressful for all different kinds of reasons. When you're in medical school, you're trying to get good grades because that'll, de that'll determine if you can get into a good residency. You're trying to figure out what residency you want to do because like, once you pick your residency, that's it. There's no going back. You can't do a do-over and you're stuck with that, and you probably have tons of student loans, and so you have to do that. Anyways, so there's stressful for all these reasons. 
From my perspective, though, and Marco may disagree with this, I don't know. From my perspective, maybe the most stressful part or season for Marco was the first few months when she started residency. So when you're in medical school, uh, you're just learning a ton. Like you're just memorizing and learning facts from like a various, you know, broad spectrum of scientific disciplines. Um, And you do a little bit of practical stuff, but really you're not given any responsibilities. And then all of a sudden you graduate, they make you a medical doctor, and you start residency, and you're like responsible for living people who are probably very sick. And those first two months as she's like all of a sudden responsible for people, you know, kind of thrown into the deep end. And, 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 and you know, when you're a resident, you have like a physician who's over you and attending, right? So it's not, you're not completely alone, but it's like they throw you into the deep end with a, a, a rope tied around your ankle. So if you like start to drown, you know, if you go unconscious, they'll pull you out, right? But otherwise you're swimming on your own. Um, that was just like very, very stressful to go from that passive kind of a learner to all of a sudden now you're the doctor in the room and you have to make real life and death choices. Well, our text this morning is, is kind of a similar experience for the disciples. Up until this point, they've been following Jesus. They've been listening to his teaching. They've been watching him perform miracles. But all of their kind of following of Jesus has been primarily passive learning, watching Jesus do the ministry. And here, Jesus calls them now to begin to take on an active role, begin to take on responsibility It's a move from a passive learner to being called to, as we're going to see, an active ministry, and then a call to a faith-filled ministry. It's going to be our two points for this morning. Jesus calls his disciples, and he calls us as well, as we'll see, to an active ministry, and he calls them to a faith-filled ministry. Um, Now, just to kind of uh, uh, do some overview of where we are in Luke, we're we're moving into kind of a new section in Luke where Jesus begins to focus a lot more on his disciples and what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, We're going to start seeing more opposition towards Jesus as his kind of novelty wears off and people begin to get upset at Jesus more and more. And you see kind of a, 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 a winnowing effect where people are either with Jesus or they're against him. Um, but this morning, we're gonna be, Jesus is going to be focusing on those who follow him, what he calls them to do. Let's go ahead and look at the first two verses, verses 1 and 2. And he called the twelve together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. One of the key themes throughout Luke as we're going to see, is is not just discipleship, but it's actually the formation of the disciples who will become the church leaders. So in Acts, which is kind of part two of really one book written by Luke, uh, we see that these disciples become the Christian leaders of that first church. And so Jesus, he is forming kind of what's going to become the leadership of the church, but even more broadly, what's going to become the church. One of the things we have to realize is that the fact that there are 12 disciples is not a random coincidence. And it's not a very normal number to pick. Like, Jesus could have picked 10. That's a much more like, you know, 10, that's a good number, or 20, or 5, but he picked 12. And there's a theological reason behind this. If you remember, there are 12 tribes of Israel. God had called a people group that was divided into 12 tribes to be his people. He had rescued them from darkness. He had made them his own. And here, Jesus has again, God again, is calling 12 people to form a new people of God. 
And the reason this is significant is that when Jesus gives commands to the disciples, it's not just like a, a, a you know, specific command just to these individuals, but often this is Jesus giving commands to his church because the disciples are kind of almost functioning as like representatives of what will become the church of God. And so when Jesus gives commands to them, not all the time, you have to show some kind of discernment here in how we interpret the Bible, but oftentimes we're seeing Christ's desire for his church. And that's what we see this morning. And so Jesus again calls his disciples they're entering a new phase of ministry. Before they had walked with Jesus, they had an intimate exposure to Jesus. They'd received teachings from Jesus that no one else received, but now Jesus is calling them to an active ministry, to no longer a passive role, but to actually going out and engaging in ministry themselves to a specific mission he's going to give them. And what's significant about this call to an active ministry is that Jesus is sending them is really, it's easy to pass over. It's like, well, yeah, obviously he sent them. That's the whole point. Easy to admit, but it's significant that it's Jesus is sending them. It's not them saying, okay, I've, I've seen enough. I've learned enough. I'm ready, Jesus. I'm going to go out on my own. It's not them taking initiative. It's them being sent by Jesus. And because they're sent by Jesus, they go under his authority and power. When I lived in Washington, D.C., I worked in a law firm for six months as a legal assistant. And so I handle kind of all the administrative, organizational things in the law firm. If you know me at all, you're like, boy, how did that go? Not super well, which is why I no longer work there. Um, it's clearly not my calling in life, but that's what I did. And, and part of what I did is I handled um, subpoenas. Um, so it was a general litigation law firm, and a, a subpoena is a, a court-ordered request uh, to either appear to, to, to give testimony or to uh, produce documents. So if you're in, in, a, in, a, in a, you know, I'm sorry if I'm butchering this, Doug and uh, Adam. Thank you. Good. Um, good enough. Um, when you're in a, in, a, in a case and you're trying, you're kind of in an investigation process, you'll subpoena, like, people or organizations for evidence. You're trying to gather evidence. And if you think there might be relevant evidence, you can subpoena them. So when we would send out subpoenas, it was really important that we could prove that the person had received the subpoena. Because if we couldn't prove they got it, they could always say, we didn't get it, and we can't force them to appear. So we would send it by mail courier, which is a, a, a service of the United States Postal Service, where they would literally hand deliver it and get a signature for it. So you now have paper evidence, I have delivered this subpoena to this person, and if they don't abide by it, they'll experience the wrath of the United States government. Here's the thing, when, the, when, when a mail courier shows up at your door, with the subpoena, it doesn't, they don't matter. What matters is that they come under the authority of the United States government and the military and political power of the United States government. And that's why when you get that subpoena, you're going to pay attention. That's the point of being sent by Jesus. These disciples aren't just going because they think they know a lot or because they think they'd be good at it. They're going under the authority and with the power of Jesus Christ. You've got to think about that. We've seen evidences of Jesus' power and authority from Luke 4 to 8. A man who would teach in such a way that people would say, we've never heard anyone teach like this. Who would, who would you know, command the fish of the sea and they would do what he wanted. He would command the winds and, and, and the waves and they would obey. He would heal people with a word. He would raise people from the dead. For four chapters, we've seen evidences, an intentional portrayal of the power and the authority of Jesus. And here Jesus says, look, I'm going to send you out. 
in my name, and I'm going to give you my power and my authority as you go out. And the thing that's especially mind-blowing is that this is true of you and me as well. Again, Jesus is speaking to the 12 disciples, to the seeds of the church, to what will become the Christian church. And the same way you and I are also sent ones of the risen Jesus Christ. And I know that because it's said in other places in the New Testament. In Acts 1.8, after Jesus has ascended, or sorry, he's about to ascend back into heaven, he spent 40 days teaching his disciples and other followers. He's appeared to over 500 people, according to the Apostle Paul. And he says this to his, to his followers, not just the disciples, but all of his followers at that point. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be, and, and just, so he says you will receive power. Luke says power and authority. It says, and, you know, power and authority are two sides of the same coin. Authority is the right to do something. Power is the ability to do it. They're together. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is a, 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 a mission that Jesus has given to every single one of us to go and be his witnesses to the ends of the world, ends of the earth. It's part of our Christian identity. It's part of what it means to be a Christian. If, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are now a sent one of the risen Lord. I have a lot of identities. I'm a, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a son. I'm a brother. I'm a pastor. I'm a United States citizen. Those are all descriptions of, of parts of who I really am, and, and there are rights and responsibilities that come with each of those, and I can fulfill those responsibilities or not. But it doesn't matter if I'm a good husband or a bad husband. I'm a husband. It doesn't matter if I'm a good son or a bad son. I'm a son. And as a Christian, again, if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, you are now sent out by Jesus Christ. This is part of your identity. And the amazing thing is that because Jesus is the one who sends us out, he sends you with his authority and his power. Again, going back to that, you know, United States Postal Service mail courier bringing a subpoena to your door, it doesn't matter if that mail courier shows up in, like, you know, tattered clothing. It doesn't matter if he speaks with a stutter. It doesn't matter if he refuses to make eye contact. It doesn't matter how unimpressive he is. Because he comes with the authority of the United States government, you're going to listen to him. That's the same thing with you as you go out as a sent one of Jesus Christ. You go under the authority of the king. And this is really important because we live in a culture where, right, the two things that you're not allowed to talk about in polite company is politics and religion. And, and so not only sharing Jesus talking about religion, right, but, like, you're not allowed to go up to them and say, hey, what you believe and what you do is wrong. And you need to change what you believe and do. Like, even saying that, I'm, like, cringing, because it's, like, part of our just cultural, you know, milieu that we swim in. Like, you just can't do that. Like, who are you to tell someone else what they can say, do, or believe? Who do you think you are? And this is where we remind ourselves that it's, we don't go out because of our authority. We go out because we have come under the authority of the king. And the king has sent us out with a message We don't go out because we're superior. If you're a Christian, what that means is that you recognize you're more messed up than anyone else you know. You recognize that Jesus came to save sinners. It's not because we're superior. It's because the king has sent us and we love him. 
We go out with Jesus' authority, but we also go out with the power of Jesus, which is the Holy Spirit. I have, um, I have two degrees in theology. I read a lot. I, I, I just, from a, an objective standpoint, I just know a lot of theology. I mean, I get to study the Bible for my calling. It's wonderful. I can't tell you how many times I have an opportunity to share the gospel, and I can't string together two coherent sentences. It's like all of a sudden, I'm like, I want to share the most important thing I know, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm saying. I sound so bad. God, use this. A lot of times we're like, I wish I, if I knew more, I would, my, my witnessing would be more effective. If I had a semi-degree, it would be more effective. And I'm telling you, it doesn't matter how much you know. Because the Spirit of God is with you. And what that means is that when you, when you share the gospel and you're saying it, and you're like, boy, this sounds ridiculous as I say it, the power of God means the Spirit takes those fumbling words and makes them like lightning in the person's heart. And you and I have experienced that. When all of a sudden someone's preaching and it's like, no, no, then all of a sudden, oh, my word, my life is laid bare. That's the spirit of God. And he goes with you as you go out in his name as a sent one of Jesus Christ. Christ has called each one of us to an active ministry to go as his sent ones, his sent emissaries, wherever we may be, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, as we walk into Kroger. We are not just an American citizen or whatever. We are an emissary of Jesus Christ. But he doesn't send us alone. He sends us with his authority and his power. And that's an amazing thing. How do we do this in a pandemic? And I'm going to talk about this a couple more times because we're in a unique situation. If there wasn't a pandemic, this would be my application. I would say make a commitment in 2021 to have one non-believing person or family over every week. That's just once a week. We all have that time, and if we don't, I would encourage you to make that time, because this is important. But imagine the spiritual fruit of 52 dinners with people who don't know Jesus, the opportunities to build relationships, to get to know people, to love people, and then to speak of Jesus as he gives opportunity. Wow, 52. Mark and I are not having people over for dinner right now. It's just not safe. So what do we do in a pandemic? How do we live into this identity that we are sent ones of Jesus Christ? How do we live into that? And it's funny, as I was thinking, I'm trying to think, like, how, I, this is part of my sermon preparation, it's like, how do we apply this right now? And I was like, well, I guess all we can do is pray. And did you hear how I said that? Oh, I guess all we can do is just pray. Reveals where my faith is to begin with. Look, as Christians, we recognize that Jesus builds his kingdom. Jesus is the one who turns hearts to himself. God is the one who calls sinners to repentance. You and I are just the vessels for that. And the fact that my initial reaction was like, well, all I can do is call people to pray, I think is more revealing of my own heart and what I really think than anything else. Let me give you a reminder. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, as Paul, towards the end of his life, writes from prison. He says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. The offspring of David is preached in my gospel for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. He's, he's in prison. That's it. That'll hinder you, if anything. But the word of God is not bound. What a reminder for us as we're like, I want to get together with my neighbors, and it's just not, I don't know how to. I want more opportunities, I just don't know how to. We may be hindered in our efforts to build relationships and to speak the name of Jesus, but the gospel is not hindered, and God is still at work, and he's still advancing his kingdom, even in the midst of a pandemic. We've got to remind ourselves of that, and then we have to begin to pray. Because prayer does two things. 
One, prayer breaks our hearts for what God cares about. Prayer impresses on us the weight of eternity. I think a lot of times we don't share Christ because frankly, eternity is meaningless to us. And we're not concerned the fact that our neighbors are, are going to spend eternity in one of two places. And there's no do-overs. It just, I, mean, I think a lot of times I don't speak, I'm a, I allow fear to stop me, I allow just busyness to stop me because the weight of eternity is not weighing on me. And when we pray to God regularly, he begins to give us his desires and his loves, and he transforms our hearts to, to care about what he cares about. That's one of the things that prayers does. We ask God for things, but half the time he's just changing us. But the second thing that prayer does is God actually answers prayer. And we plead with God for our neighbors, for our children who don't know the Lord, for our friends who don't know the Lord, for our coworkers. God answers prayer. In 1806, um, over summer in Massachusetts, five college students began to pray that God would reach Asia with the gospel. Five college students began a monthly prayer meeting. One of those was named Adoniram Judson. And himself and a few others, a few years later, went on to found the very first American missions agency. Adoniram Judson was then the first, well, one of the first missionaries sent from America. He ended up in uh, Burma, now called Myanmar, spent 50 years there. By the end of his life, his efforts had led to the planting of over 100 churches and over 8,000 Burmese professing faith in Christ. That missions agency ended up sending out over 1,200 missionaries over that next 50 years. That began with the prayer of five college students. And God answered that in a way I don't think any of them could have imagined. We pray for our neighbors. We pray to enter as sent ones of Jesus Christ. We pray because God legitimately answers prayer. It's how he has ordained his kingdom to advance on the wheels of the <laughs> prayers of his people. God has called us to an active ministry as sent ones of Jesus Christ to be witnesses wherever we may be. But he's also called us to a faith-filled ministry as well. Look at verses 3 to 6. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. Do not have two tunics. Whatever house you enter, stay there from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went throughout the villages, preaching the gospel healing everywhere. Jesus gives some very specific instructions to his disciples, and it's basically don't take anything with you. Don't take money. Don't take food. Like, don't even take an extra set of clothing. Take the clothes on your back, and that's it. Alright, well, I've been saying that Jesus' call to the twelve disciples is not just a specific command to these twelve men, but this is a, command, this is a universal call to every Christian. Is, is this the same? Like, is Jesus giving us here his, like, inspired missionary method? So when he calls a missionary, the missionary is supposed to just go without anything with them. I mean, should we stop giving to our missionaries because it's unbiblical? Should we stop giving to the cooperative program because, like, these missionaries, it's unbiblical for them to take support? Well, again, this is where I said we have to be kind of careful in how we interpret the Bible. And no, 
These commands, these specific commands that Jesus gives to his disciples are not universal commands. We know that because in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul, speaking to the Corinthian church, mentions the fact that he is supported by other churches so that he can minister to the Corinthian church free of charge. So we know that it wasn't, I mean, unless Paul is in sin, which, again, that's not, I would say no, these are not universal commands. And what is the point? Why are these details included? They're in, they're in Matthew, Mark as well. These random details. What is the point of this? Why couldn't he just have said, and by the way, you're going to go in faith. And that's the point, is that they're called to a faith-filled ministry. And this is a, but why these details? I think what's going on here is that Jesus is putting them as pace-setters for us as a church. In a race, a pace-setter is the one who runs in the front. And he sets, or she sets the pace for the pack. And there's kind of a strategy to like, you know, there's also some jostling who can get in the front in the first because if you, you know, it, there's strategy with whether you run fast in the beginning or you run slow. And so if you can set the pace, it's helpful. But the pace setter is one setting the pace for everyone following. These disciples are, 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 are basically just setting a, a new bar for what it looks like to live a faith-filled ministry. Not that you and I are called to leave everything we have and go without a dollar to our name to like Afghanistan. This is how it works. Okay, so I'm going to commit to pray for a neighbor every day. Well, that's unrealistic. We're busy. You're not going to do that. That's unrealistic. Compared to this, though, is it? No. It sets the bar higher. Like, I'm, I should invite a neighbor to church. Well, that's scary. That's unrealistic. Compared to this? No, it's not. I'm going, to, I'm going to restructure my finances to begin to like put, begin to think kingdom-minded, to use my finances in a kingdom-minded way. Well, that's, that's overly zealous. Compared to this, no, it's not. If they're setting a pace for us, what does it look like to live a faithful ministry of leaving all to follow Jesus? And it's not, going to, it's not going to look like you selling your house and moving to Afghanistan without a dollar to your name, no. But it might start to mean, might mean like looking like very, Specific, concrete, faith-filled actions in 2021. Jesus is setting a bar for what it looks like to live a faithful ministry because we are called as followers of Jesus, like the disciples were called to an active ministry and a faithful ministry as sent ones of Jesus Christ. And I want to ask this again, how do we live this out in a pandemic? It's just difficult. And this is going to sound redundant, but repetition is good as we pray. We commit ourselves as we're looking to 2021, we're going to get serious about kingdom-minded prayer in our families, in our, in our individual lives, in our church life. I really think that prayer life reveals much about what we think about ourselves and God. The human sinful tendency is to minimize God and to maximize ourselves, and that's why prayer is often very difficult as a discipline for us, because we just don't think about it. We don't think we need it. Like, I'm fine. I don't need prayer. I don't need God's grace every second of every day. So how do we live into our identity as sent ones of Jesus Christ? Here's my call for us as a church, is commit. We're looking ahead to the coming year, 2021. Commit every day. Pray for a neighbor or someone you are in contact with who doesn't know Jesus. 
but I'm not going to hit that. I'm, I'm not going to pray. I'm going to forget. Okay, that's fine. But maybe if you commit to every day, maybe you only pray for people four days a week. But hey, that's probably still more than we're doing in 2020. Commit every day to pray for your neighbors who don't know Jesus. Pray for courage. Pray for, pr- pray for opportunities. Pray for z- zeal, for a burden for the lost. And then as you pray... Keep an eye out for the opportunities. Wait expectantly for how God will answer that and give you opportunities to share Jesus Christ with those who are in your life who don't know Jesus. This is the first Sunday of 2021, so I can tell you that 2020 is officially over. And we all give a round of applause and say, good riddance. But as we look ahead to 2021, I can tell you, under the authority of God's sacred word, beyond a doubt, In 2021, Jesus has called you to go out in his name and be a witness for him. That is Jesus' will for your life. I'm saying that with complete certainty. That is what God wants for you this coming year. And he's given his own power and authority to you to do that in the form of his Holy Spirit. He has equipped you for that. Here's the question. Are we going to obey? Let me pray for us. Jesus, you have called us to a glorious ministry. You died to make us new so that you could send us out into a world that desperately needs to be made new. And you've given us your spirit. And Lord, we know that life with you, even though it may be risky and scary and require everything, it is still better than life apart from you. Give us a deep faith that you can use people even like us to advance your kingdom. Give us a faith that lays everything we have with delight, with joy before you, willing to sacrifice anything because we love you. Oh, you are the giver of good gifts. Give us that good gift. Pray this in your holy name.